At MECED in Charlotte, North Carolina, we help transform the lives of young people who face obstacles. We are proud to point to the success of not only our graduates, but so many others in our community. Join us as we unlock the secrets to their success. You are going to hear how young people navigated a system that was not designed for everyone to succeed. You are going to be moved and inspired by the stories of each of our guests. Classes in session. Here is your host, Ross Dennis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Let's Reinvent School, our second season, a program that focuses on what's positive, not only what's wrong with our schools. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome Bob Morrison, Robert Morrison, to today's program. I realized if I read his entire bio, the program would be over. So I'm just going to point to some highlights. Bob's the founder and CEO of Quadrant Research, the nation's leading arts education research organization, where he's created a deep body of research and policy work, recognized as a pioneer in statewide arts education. And he's also the managing partner for the groundbreaking New Jersey Arts Education Census Project. He was the founder of Music for All, was the founding CEO of W or VH1 Save the Music Foundation, the Director of Market Development for NAMM. Gosh, it goes on and on. But he's also won an Emmy and a Peabody Award, received an honorary doctorate from State University of New York. But beyond that, Bob's also a longtime collaborator, colleague, and dare I say, friend. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Russ. It's great to be with you. Great to see you again. See you as well. Also joining us, uh, the invaluable colleague, brilliant, MECED CEO, Shelly Bybee. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you, Ross. Now, Shelly's going to help us synthesize what we hear today and what big ideas emerge from our conversation in our third segment. So let's begin. You know, it's it's it may sound rudimentary to talk about why the arts are so important, but doesn't it, it seems as though over the years, with the advent of standardized tests, we focus on what? Math, reading, and in some places we've eviscerated the arts because we somehow think they're because they're not tested, perhaps not that important. But when you hear that, Bob, how do you respond? Make the case for us for arts education. Well, first of all, you know, the, I, I think that there is somewhat of a mythology, you know, that exists that you know arts education has, you know taken a back seat to some of these other content areas. And, and, and certainly, you know, there was a lot of stress on the education system as a result of the implementation of No Child Left Behind, which kind of ushered in the, the, the focus on testing um, uh, with a very um, kind of high stakes um, uh, consequences that were attached to it. And as a result, you know, like any any system uh, that has incentives, you know, in place, people are going to respond to the incentives. And, and as it related to testing, you know, the incentive for school leaders was, you know, you need to focus on these areas on how we're going to do on these tests. So uh, what we did see is, you know, that there was maybe a narrowing of focus, right? We didn't see the, uh, you know, we didn't see like a, a clear cutting of arts education programs, but we did see you know, a narrowing of offerings, you know, maybe, you know, one less section or one less course being offered because they were making way for um, uh, additional instruction in, in some of the testing areas. 
Um, but, you know, as that worked its way through, you know, back in 2001, 2002, through, you know, 2010, um, you know, we, we saw a renewed, you know, you know, kind of a, a response to that, a pushback to that going, hey, wait a second, you know, it, it's not all about how well we test our students. It's not how, how, all about how well our students are able to take tests. We need to look at what is a well-rounded education? What are those components? How do we ensure that our students are, are developing the skills necessary uh, to be successful and to be able to compete uh, in an ever-changing you know, world economy? Um, and, and that includes much more than the ability to take a test, right? And that means creativity, innovation, uh, being able to work in teams, being able to problem solve, being able to work you know, on your on your own, uh, and come up with new and innovative and unique solutions to common problems, and 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 these are skills that are a part of what students get out of the arts, right? The they, they learn to communicate effectively because they're having to communicate with one another uh, when they're in the act of creating, you know, uh, a, a work of art. Um, obviously, creativity. Uh, is embedded in the arts and the ability for students to uh, express themselves and uh, use the arts as a way to uh, uh, find meaning or express ideas uh, that they don't have the words to do. And we've seen this, you know, that part of it, the creative aspect of it being really critical coming out of COVID-19 because our students missed that when they were, you know, in lockdown or they didn't have the opportunity to engage with others. Um, they missed that. And so when they came back into schools, we just, we saw, you know, you know, sometimes an ensemble, the first note that they played, you know, people started crying because they missed, you know, that opportunity. And for some students, the only way for them to express what they were feeling about the pandemic was through their ability to express it through some sort of work of art, you know, whether that was, you know, a, a, a artwork, a piece of visual art, or whether, they compose some music or they put on a play about it or, or a dance recital about it. Uh, they were using that expression to be able to show the way. Uh, in addition, we've got critical thinking, which is a part of the arts collaboration uh, and certainly an understanding of, of others and that, developing the empathy uh, that you're able to get from the arts. So uh, we've, we've seen the pendulum swing you know, over time, back and forth, where it's way over on the, you know, back to basics, you know, uh, language arts, literacy and math, you know, very narrowly focused, and, and then swinging back to an area where it's more focused on not only those content areas, which remain important, but other content areas as well, but like physical education, like technology, uh, like world languages, like uh, uh, social studies, uh, and civics, as well as the arts. I mean, these are all equal ingredients in the creation of that well-rounded student um, that will be able to then come out with of their educational process and be able to then contribute uh, to society as a whole. Couldn't couldn't agree more uh, with what you're saying, particularly critical and creative thinking. How important that is in this complicated, often dangerous, uh, multi-logical multinational world and uh, the ability to solve problems. And when we think about the arts, as you know, it's not just about uh, performing and dance and theater and, and uh, visual arts. It transfers to everything. 
So whatever that create that creativity is that's fostered transfers to the operating room. Absolutely. It, it, it absolutely does. And that's one of the things that we talk about, you know, the, we do not teach the arts to create great artists, right? You know, we teach the arts to create great people, you know, to give them the skills necessary so that they can be successful. Uh, and the, the skills that they gain in the arts, you know, are transferable into uh, other areas. And, and we see this time and time again, when, you know, major companies start, you know, start speaking out about what are the characteristics that they're looking for uh, in employees, you know, and the many of the things that they talk about are the very skills that uh, that are involved when, you know, when students are involved in the arts and the skills that they gain, you know, from being in, involved in the arts. And I think the other thing that's important to understand is, you know, the students, um, the students that are coming into our education system today, right? They're they're going to be graduating college, you know, toward the middle of the century, right? And so we're, you know, I'm going to quote a, a late friend of mine, you know, Sir Ken Robinson, um, who Ross, you and I know that I've worked closely with before his passing. You know, one of the things that he said. Uh, that he in, in one of his presentations, he talked about the fact that uh, there was a McKinsey study that was done uh, that basically outlined the fact that um, that the majority of uh, of jobs that are going to be available when these students are graduating are in will be in companies uh, that whose names we do not know today. Uh, in industries that have yet to be invented, right? So this idea that we're going to train, we're going to give you these skills and these skills are going to lead to that specific outcome uh, is not necessarily the case. We can't know what that specific outcome is because the world is always changing. And therefore, we need to prepare our students to be able to be flexible and apply the skills and knowledge that they acquire into these new environments, into these new businesses, into these new industries um, that we have no idea what they are today, and and that's the whole idea. It's not about okay, we're gonna we're gonna teach the student to become you know this thing. No, we're gonna empower this student to become whatever they want to become. But in order to do that, we've got to give them all of the tools necessary uh, for them to find and reach their full potential. They may not end up in the symphony. No. And, and, and that's not the point. Now, there will be those that find their way. The gifted and talented will rise to the top. They'll find their way out. But that's not why the arts are, are, are taught in, in our schools. It's not to create the great artists, but it is to give our students these skills that will serve them well throughout the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah, I also remember Sir Ken uh, fondly, and I re recall that longitudinal study he talks about where when given a test of divergent thinking, five-year-olds score off the charts. And then the same group, as you come back to them as 10-year-olds as and 11-year-olds, and then finally 22-year-olds, you see their capacity for divergent thinking shrink, almost disappear. And he obviously blames that on school and that somehow we take creative young people and beat the creativity out of them. It, it, exactly. That's exactly the way that he he would put it. You know, it's... It's the idea of, 
you know, can our, can the students survive with their creativity intact? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My high school music teacher was just the best. And I think of those days and what that music education meant to me, even though now I'm not a professional musician, meant the world to me. Although in right. my class, Eddie Mannion was in my class, who went mm. on to the sax player for Springsteen's band. So occasionally there are some folks that make it in <laughs> profession. You were Absolutely. you're a drummer and you you performed professionally. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that, that was, you know, that was my original goal was to, to be a professional musician, right? To, to, um, and, and for a while I came out, uh, of, of college and did some touring, uh, as a percussionist, um, and also played in some, with some symphonies, uh, on the classical side. Um, but became more enamored on the, on the business side of things. So I actually, uh, you know, was, led out from the performing side and actually into the business side uh, where I started actually designing products and working for manufacturers, um, uh, which is, which is what got me into the industry side. Uh, And then when we were getting ready, uh, the company that I was working for at the time was Pearl and I was tasked with uh, creating a new division for them that served the educational market. And so in my research regarding the educational market, um, that's what really got me intrigued on education policy and uh, identifying threats to the business uh, that were out there. And it became clear to me that the threats to the, the, the business at the time were not coming so much from our competitors, um, you know, with their products. It was actually coming from policies that are being implemented that were either favorable or unfavorable to uh, arts education programs and in this example, specifically music education. Interesting. So now we started talking about the state of the arts in our schools and you painted a picture that was actually brighter than I thought. You know, I thought it was going to be, oh, the arts have been eviscerated in our schools. And what I'm hearing you say is that's not the case. It's kind of gone both ways. It's quite the opposite. Uh, Arts education in our schools is very robust. Um, 90, 96% of all students in the United States have access to arts instruction uh, n- uh, in any, any of the arts disciplines, right? Um, uh, 92% have access to music education. Uh, 67% of all students in the United States participate. They're actually enrolled in an arts program. So contrary to a lot of the messaging that's out there, you know, that, that uh, they're being eviscerated, that they're disappearing, that they're no longer a pri- priority. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's a, you know, it's one of the things that we talk about from an advocacy standpoint, that if the vast majority of students have access to these programs and have the opportunities, then why is it that these 4 million students over here don't, Right. So we're talking about a difference between a scarcity mentality where, oh, please, may we have our program and folks are going, well, everyone's cutting them, so we need to be cutting them too, to the fact that, no, most places have it, although there are certain schools with certain characteristics that for whatever reason don't, and we need to focus on why they don't have it. 
And what do we need to do to ensure that those students have the same educational opportunities and gain the same benefits from being involved in the arts as the other 94% of students in the United States? You know, in a moment, we're going to have to take a break. And I would want sure. to talk more about the quality of arts education program, because these numbers are astounding, 92%, and then 67% participate. And do you have any idea of, of the range of quality of these programs? Well, so the, 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 because of the data that we're measuring is coming from state longitudinal data systems, uh, it, there's not necessarily qualitative indicators that, that are there. Uh, but one of the things that we can that we do see is that you know programs continue to evolve, right? Just like any any content area, you know, arts education programs uh, and and the type of courses and the type of offerings that are available to students today is wildly different than what it was a decade ago or even two two decades ago, um, as as different. Things are being brought into the the arts classroom. Different genres. Um, you know, it's it's no longer just uh, focused on the traditional Western European classical arts type of model. That's still there and very important and 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 a building block of of arts education. But there, we're also looking at other building blocks of arts education, which looks at other ways of teaching, other ways of, of learning, whether it's through hip hop, whether it's through mariachi, whether it's through, um, you know, integrating different cultures into it and also allowing students to have more say in that learning environment by, by, by contributing to what they are learning and, uh, helping to identify things that are meaningful. Let's follow up with that when we get back. This has been fascinating, Bob. Absolutely fascinating. I'm learning so much from you, and I hope our audience is as well. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit about MechEd on the break. If you're so inclined to donate, you can always go to www.meched.org. You'll see a big button that says Donate up top there, and you'll find out more about our work and more about Bob's work in the arts when we get back from our commercial break. See you on the other side. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. But before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. It's goal to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED has invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity. Family, friendship. 
I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Dennis. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on what's positive, not only what's wrong in our schools. We're back with Bob Morrison, the extraordinary um, arts education advocate and and uh, interesting human being who not only is an artist himself but also is a data geek, if I may say so, and it, it can wrap his head around numbers in a way that I rarely have, have seen in my in my lifetime. So we're talking about the participation rates in schools in the arts, and I'd like to pause over dance for just a moment because, as I recall, that was a, a there was a void in dance education programs at one point. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that, Bob? Sure. Well, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind, particularly about dance and theater. You know, dance and theater are relative newcomers to arts education in our schools. Uh, you know, historically, uh, music 
you know, has a, a very long history, you know, in education that actually predates common school education, but actually entered uh, the public schools in, in Boston, Massachusetts in the, uh, in the early 1800s. Uh, so it's had a long history of being present there. Same thing with visual arts. Visual arts came a little bit later. But dance and theater as, a, as an element of public education uh, really didn't start to take place until the middle of the 20th century and really wasn't you know, codified until the 1990s as content areas. So when you think about it, you know, dance and theater have have had a shorter history in our schools than music and visual art, which is why music and visual art have such high penetration rates in in many of our schools. But with the uh, adoption of national standards for arts education in 1994, codified what arts education was, meaning dance, theater, um, music and visual art. And then in the recent update in uh, 2015, uh, they added the new discipline of media arts. So really defining media arts as its own uh, artistic discipline. But when we look at dance, one of the things that has been interesting is we were looking over national data where we were able to cobble together uh, data representing about 36% of the entire U.S. student population we're really now able to you know, dig in and get some, some interesting findings. And while nationally, only 3% of students participate in dance, and that's 3% of all students as part of, uh, compared to all of the students that were um, in that cohort, when you look at schools that offer dance, that number goes from 3% to 18%. So in schools where dance is offered, 18% of students actually choose to participate. In elementary schools where dance is offered, that number jumps up to 78%. So the issue as it relates to dance is not that there is a lack of interest. Um, there's a lack of opportunity because only 15% of our schools actually provide instruction in dance. So that's why the dance numbers overall seem so small. It's not because there's not an interest. It's because of the, 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 the low number of schools that are offering dance comparatively. But where it's offered, there's very high demand. That's, that's wonderful to know. It all piques my interest around equity issues. You know, where are these programs? Are they largely in upper middle class white suburban communities? Do we see them in urban communities? What's interesting, particularly about dance, dance is actually more prominent in urban communities than in other communities. So if you look at, you know, at, at any of the data, uh, you know, dance is going to be more prominent uh, in, in, in our city schools as opposed to, you know, our more rural schools. Now, they're certainly prominent in some of the affluent areas, um, but, you know, Unlike some of the other content areas, dance is, it really does seem to um, have strength in our urban areas. That's, that's really interesting. And you talked a little bit about back in the day, 1800s, you know, with, uh, with music education. Now I'm picturing, you know, largely a female workforce, you know, those kindergarten, first, second grade teachers sitting at the piano, uh, teaching kids music along with every other subject. Is that kind of an accurate picture of what music education looked like? 
Yeah, back then, you know, and you have to understand why why they were doing it in the school to begin with. You know, back in the early 1800s, uh, we had a, there was a gentleman that kind of was pioneering at the time, uh, Lowell Mason, uh, who was a composer, but also an educator and also a church leader. Uh, and in Boston, Massachusetts, they introduced music education into the common school um, as a way to ensure that students would be able to sing on Sunday during religious services. So the whole idea of music education going into the school, at least initially, was to solve for a problem. Hey, we don't have enough rehearsal time. How do we make sure that our that that our members are able to perform? And so that's the the way that it worked its its way into the public education system, you know, originally, and then took off from there. But it was largely, you know, somebody uh, with music, you know, singing with the students and then, you know, with a piano or something else. So very much a what we today would call a general music approach. Now, I'm, this is not my uh, point of view. This is from Wynton Marsalis, who in an, in an interview said that rap was the music of ignorance. And that he pointed to a decline in, in music education in our schools uh, that gave rise to Rap music was, you know, sampling, uh, not actually having, you know, understanding music theory, et cetera, et cetera. Any, any thoughts or opinions about that? Well, I think that there's, you know, I, I don't believe that, uh, that, that rap is a result of the decline of music education in our schools. Um, it is, you know, it, it is you know, a cultural uh, way that folks, you know, identified as a way to express themselves, express what they were going through in, in their particular communities, in their particular set of circumstances. I think what we really need to, I think it's more, it had a lot more to do with the economic circumstances that folks were going through than, than a, a lack of, of music education, you know, in, in my view. Uh, that said, I th also think that there is there is certainly some things that can be gleaned, you know, from rap and and from hip hop. And I've also advocated uh, that it's important that we recognize um, and embrace the music or the art forms that our students are listening to, that our students are gravitating toward, because from there. You know, if we meet them where they are, like if somebody comes in, oh, I'm really interested in this 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 hip hop piece, and I'm you know, and they're listening to um, you know something that Jay Z had done. You know, that's a place. You know, you can you can go. Okay, let's let's talk about that. Right? What's he doing here? How is this constructed? Um, because from you know, particularly from a, a rap standpoint, you know, originally it was very much. You know, it was very much rhythmic. It was all driven by the, the rhythms and the, the rhymes. Um, and it certainly evolved to be much more sophisticated, much more creative today uh, from a, a musical standpoint. But this is a that's a way to to meet students where they are. You know, what is it that you like about that piece? Oh, well, do you know that, you know, some of the things that are here, we can also find in a piece of music over here. And so all of, all of a sudden you can use that as a bridge to bring them from where they are into some of the more um, 
you know, traditional music education canon that is out there, or also, you know, other aspects of, of popular music, which is why one of the things that we're seeing in the United States is that a strand of music education that has evolved over the past, you know, 20 years or so is in the area of popular music, you know, modern band, uh, you know, embracing uh, that style of music as a way to engage with students, meet them where they are, uh, and then develop an, uh, their musical education, you know, from that particular point in time. So I, I think that, you know, as, as we move forward, it's important that we pay attention to uh, the, the wide variety of differing uh, ways that music manifests itself in our culture. Uh, and not be afraid to uh, to take that as a jumping off point to bring people into other areas. I've I've often said, you know, I, I look at it like music education, like a house. Um, and historically, we've only opened the front door, and the front door would be the traditional programs, right? It would be you know band, choir, orchestra, general music, um, and we start kids in fourth grade on instruments and um, and that's the high point of instrumental music education, because after that, you know, students start to leave uh, as they move on through the education system uh, and as they move on to different grades and their interest changes. So we start to see numbers decline when you get into high school. And that's largely because, you know, they, they got on the merry-go-round in fourth grade, the merry-go-round spinning, people are falling off. We never stop the merry-go-round to say, hey, let's let more kids on, Right. You know, so embracing these uh, these other ways to me is like opening up the the windows and the other doors. You know, you want to come in through a, a hip hop you know window, come in through that window. You want to come in through mariachi, come in through that. You want to come in through you know an, another genre, come in that way. It's it's music. We can make music, and we will find a way to bring you from there to meaningful lessons that. Of it. it warms my heart just hearing you talk about it this way. And you made me remember, actually helped me remember back in my day, mid-70s, yep. my high school music theory teacher, Mr. Unger, was a jazz fanatic. Well, none of us were. So so he would use uh, Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears yep. that we related to uh, to unpack sort of the, uh, you know, the chart and teach us all of the things he wanted to teach us. But you're right, through the music we were listening to. Right. He was laying the breadcrumbs. And then all of a sudden, he would be able to compare. Oh, did you know? Well, this, these changes that they're playing over over here, you know, can, we can also hear them in a different context over here in the jazz idiom. Right. Right. The sixth that Thelonious Monk used at the end of that chord. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. Um I mean, and it's inspiring to hear how, how well things seem to be going across the country. When we get back from our next break, we're going to uh, delve into resources and, and how states and school districts can access greater resources for the arts. And I know that that's something you're very involved in. Would you like to take a minute to promote some of the data around Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools? Sure. Well, one, I mean, one of the things that we've done is we've created... Uh, nationally, what's called the Arts Education Data Project. That project uh, is designed to take data that our state departments of education are already gathering and, and, 
and pry them loose and then package them and then release them back to the public in a way that is meaningful, that is useful, uh, so that they can gain knowledge from the information that is there. Uh, and so we've got right now we have 31 states across the nation participating um, and we're working to get to uh, over 40 by the end of 2023. Um, and that includes North Carolina. So we have uh, a set of dashboards uh, that have been developed for uh, North Carolina that are hosted um, by an organization called the North Carolina Arts Education Leadership Coalition. Uh, or um, ALIC, and they are uh, at artsednc.org. And there they host dashboards for uh, arts education for the state of North Carolina. And there you can explore information on the status and condition of arts education for North Carolina. But you can then also look at what's happening within the individual disciplines. You can look at it at a county level. You can look at it at a district level. Uh, you can even get all the way down to a school level so you can see what's happening in a school building uh, based on the, the the disciplines that are offered, based on the courses that are offered, uh, based on the enrollment. And then you can look at that data, how it's changed over time, because we've got five years of data loaded into the Carolina system. So you can actually see where the trend lines are going. And we've just released these, um, I think, two months ago, and it includes data from the 2022 school year. So you can actually begin to see, okay, well, what was the impact in COVID when you went from 2019 to 2020 to 2021? And then what happened? You know, did we rebound? Did we keep, you know, was there a decline? Uh, so it's really interesting uh, to interact with the information to see what was the impact of COVID in those times and, and how schools have uh, rebounded from that. So I encourage everyone uh, that's interested to take a look at it um, and they can, and across North Carolina, they can zero into their own district or, you know, certainly, you know, for you, for you all in the Charlotte Mecklenburg area, you can go and see what's happening, uh, with all the schools, the, the 180 schools that are in the Charlotte Mecklenburg area. Well, in, case, in case you're wondering, wondering, or anyone out there is wondering what I'll be doing for the rest of the day is I'll be <laughs> at nc.org examining that data. Thank you, Bob. Listen, we'll be back in just a couple of moments. We're going to hear more about MechEd uh, and uh, make sure you you take note of artsnc.org as well. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of minutes. Thank you. MechEd's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. We want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics. You're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. 
Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Dennis. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on on what's positive in our schools, not only what's not working. Now we're here with Bob Morrison, uh, an amazing arts educator and advocate and expert on the arts across the country. And we was talking before the break about uh, the dashboard that's available in North Carolina that we're gonna be looking at later today. We're also joined in this segment by, with, uh, excuse me, with by, uh, by Shelly Bybee, MECED COO, 
brilliant colleague, uh, invaluable uh, to our organization, someone I also call friend. So Shelly, help us synthesize a little bit about what we've learned and maybe what ideas have emerged for you. Sure. Um, I think one of the the key pieces I kept going back to is um, the arts as a bridge to so much. And um, I am thrilled to hear that the data is showing that the arts um, is alive and well in our schools. And as a former teacher, I think back to how I use the arts in my civics classroom. Um, And it's such a way to build relationships with the students and to give them that creative outlet. Um, I think about differentiated instruction and how, you know, if a student liked to express himself through art, it was easy for me to give a project where they could um, take a concept and, you know, create a play about, you know, whatever that may be, or to create a drawing. And and it's it's so easy to integrate into our classrooms and so useful. Um, I think about how arts is a bridge to the business world too, that creativity, that critical thinking. Um, so again, just so thrilled to hear that, um, that it has made a comeback and it is alive and well. Um, and also just um, that there are resources available to us now. And, and Bob, I don't know if you want to talk maybe a little bit more. We were talking on the break about equity. And what are some of the um, data that these databases are capturing? So if, if individuals are interested in, um, in the piece on equity, what they can be looking for? Sure. One of the things that we've done, you know, in, uh, in putting together the dashboards is to look at, you know, what are some of the different variables look at that would, you know, illuminate some issues for, for further inquiry. So we look at, um, uh, participation rates and access rates based on uh, the majority race ethnicity of the school. Since we're not using student level data in North Carolina, uh, we can't really uh, analyze the data from based on the students that are enrolled versus the students that are not. Uh, all we are looking at is aggregated data. So the only tool that we have is to look at the majority race ethnicity of the school and compare schools uh, based on their majority race ethnicity or based on their free and reduced lunch status, using that as a, as a proxy for uh, economic status, that enables us to be able to illuminate, are there any particular inequities you know, that may exist in a particular um, state or in a particular community? So, for example, in North Carolina, uh, there are 91 schools that do not provide instruction in arts education. And this is available on, on the dashboards as well. And that's um, about 1.4% of the students in North Carolina don't have access to arts instruction, about 23,000 students. But when we look at, okay, well, where is that concentrated? One of the things that we look at is how does the students that don't have access to arts instruction, how does that compare to the distribution of all students to see, is there an area that's underrepresented or overrepresented? And one of the things that we see for the state of North Carolina in particular, is that that students that do not have access to arts instruction are overrepresented in schools where the majority of students are black. So that's one of the things when we look at the data going, hey, this is something that requires additional inquiry. Why is it that uh, schools where the majority of students are black, where they are overrepresented as it relates to the number of students that don't have access to 
uh, arts instruction. So that's one of the things that we're able to uh, determine by looking at the information. Of course, I'm talking about things at a statewide level, but then you could then you know drill down to look at it from uh, a, a county level or a district level as well and see what are the attributes that jump out that may need to be addressed. I also recall um, Sir Ken talking about Isadora Duncan, who said once said uh, famously, you know, if I had the words, I wouldn't need to dance. <laughs> exactly. So many, so many of us, you know, the the impulse to express ourselves creatively, I think it's just a universal uh, attribute that we all have. It's going to come out some way, somehow. Uh, and I'm pleased yeah. to hear it's alive and the arts are alive and well in our schools, concerned that it's not available to everyone in our schools. Well, and that's one of the things, and that's why we we preface it the way that we do, that, you know, the good news is the vast majority of students have access and participate. You know, the bad news is there are still millions of students that do not have access. And those students tend to be concentrated in schools where the high percentage of students are eligible for free and reduced lunch meals, uh, are in our major urban or very rural communities. Uh, where the majority of students enrolled are Hispanic, Black, or Native American. Um, and in some parts of the country, you know, there's a big gap between arts offerings in charter schools versus what's available in public schools, uh, where public schools have a significant advantage in their offering uh, when compared to charter schools in general, with the caveat that arts-centered charter schools or charter school that organizes itself around arts education, they tend to be, you know, very robust uh, arts program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we have a high school not too far from uh, where we are right now that just doesn't have a marching band. You know, there's no band that's playing at football games in part because of budget issues. So, you know, I know that you've done some work around how do we access resources for the arts in our schools? You know, to help us understand how districts or administrators can find grants or find resources to assist? Well, one of the things that we noticed, you know, early on, um, and particularly way, way back, you know, Ross, you'll recall this with the very first census project in New Jersey um, back in 2006, 2007. One of the things that we found out was that where there's a will, there's a way. Because as we looked at, you know, what was out there, we we saw you know, programs in very, you know, highly high affluent areas that were not so robust. They didn't offer certain things. And then we saw programs in, you know, in high poverty areas that were very robust because there was a principal there that valued the arts and they wanted to ensure that their students would have access to those programs. So one of the first things is, is where there's a will, there's a way, you know, there, you have to have the will to want to try to find solutions to that. But in addition to that, um, there are, there are a lot of resources that many school leaders don't think about or don't think about in terms of how it might apply to, you know, arts education programs. And if we think about all of the funding that came in through uh, the ESSER funds, right, through the federal ESSER program down to states and then down to local communities, those funds can, can be used to support arts education programs. 
Um, and to the degree, and, and particularly since the funds are not renewable, right? These are, these are one-shot funds and you want to make sure that you don't build a program with one-shot funds that you then, oh my God, the, the funding stops and now I've got to keep funding this. So how do you invest those funds into things that will you know, continue long after the funding stops? And that's where you can invest in instruments. You can invest in infrastructure. You can invest in things that will support the arts education programs in the long term for generate, you know, for a generation or two, uh, as opposed to, okay, I'm going to buy this program and I have to keep paying a fee every year to do it. So ESSER funds, uh, I've heard from, you know, all across the country, uh, schools that are using ESSER funds to uh, invest some of those funds into um, strengthening, rebuilding, reintroducing arts education programs and, and music education programs in particular. But another area that people don't think about uh, is Title I. Uh, mm-hmm. Title I funding can be used for arts education programs. There's no reason why it can't be used for those programs. And the same thing is true for Title II funds can be used to support uh, expanding, uh, you know, your arts faculty, you use those funds to hire arts educators. Uh, and then with the uh, adoption back in 2015 of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which was the, which uh, came after what is currently, you know, or what used to be called the Elementary and Secondary Education Act is now the Every Student Succeeds Act. That particular act created uh, an area for well-rounded education under Title IV. Uh, So there are federal funds in Title IV uh, that can be used specifically to support uh, arts education programs, um, both in materials and supplies, uh, in educators, as well as in uh, community engagement and bringing in cultural organizations uh, to augment the instruction that's going on in the schools. So- um, Earlier about principals, school principals, you know, who yes. have control over those Title I funds and Title II funds. So in addition to their uh, school resource officer or tutoring programs or any number of other things that they're doing with those, re- those funds, they can use the, them for the arts. Exactly. Wow. And, a lot of, and, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. And a lot of it, school administrators aren't aware that they can use Title I funds for arts education because they have... It's always been focused so narrowly into testing initiatives and things of that nature. And it's just like, you know, there are other things that you can do with these funds uh, that will also pay dividends to students, you know, and one of those ways is certainly through the arts. So ESSER funds as they're available, but only use those funds for things that will sustain themselves, you know, stuff that will be around for a while. Uh, and then you've got Title One, Title Two, Title Four funding. Um and then obviously, you know, working in the community uh, with your own budgeting process, you know, if it's a priority for the community to make an investment, uh, then sometimes you need to go out to the community and make the case for why additional funds are, are needed. And I think that most people will find uh, that one of the more popular areas of support uh, in the public is for support to be uh, provided to uh, music and arts education programs in the schools. This has been an absolutely fascinating and informative program. Uh, You know where I'm going after this, artsnc.org. And digging into the data, I hope all of our listeners do as well. We encourage you to share this program with your network 
because it's available at uh, Let's Reinvent School. It's available on every possible platform, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, once it's over today. Uh, but tonight it'll start, uh, tonight it will be available for download just about anywhere. So we encourage you to to share this with your with your networks, all of you who are listening right now. And we encourage you to, to uh, look at MechEd's website, www.meched.org. And if you're so inclined, there's a donate button right up top. All of those funds go to help our young people, many of, them, many of whom face obstacles that limit their access to opportunity. It helps to put them on a bright path to a bright future. Thank you all for listening. Thank you so much, Bob Morrison. Great to see you. Great to talk to you. Uh, I can't wait to listen to this program again. Thank you, Shelly, for all of your contributions, uh, not just during the during this program, but at MECAD. With <laughs> Thank that, you, Ross. we'll sign off and we'll see you next Thursday on the 15th. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we provide more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>